think many have questions, maybe we'll have questions about this uh, point, in particular about modeling, because it sounds very interesting that how you have to learn about a lot of polymer material science. And first, the question is, how you can make sure that the material you're working is, is meeting your expectation in terms of the mechanical performance or other properties you're looking for. But I, I, as far as we know, there is shortage in getting the required force and strain, for example, in, in some kind of polymer, like any conductive polymer, for instance. But the question that comes first here, how you can make sure that you select the right material? Uh, well, if you if you look at my uh, PhD thesis, I sort of actually laid out the the, the iterations that mm. I made and the assessments that I made. Um, the the first thing is you do have to have a direct tactile experience of what the right thing feels like. So you you, mm. you have to have done dissection so that you know what the material you're trying to emulate actually behaves like. Um, and it has to be fresh dissection that's not preserved tissues. Um, so th this then means that you, you discover that these materials have you know, quite surprising properties. They're not like the things you normally handle because they are often a lot more elastic and softer, um, particularly the um, what is known as the areola loose connective tissue um, that lies between everything else and tends to get ignored, but is kind of critical because without it, nothing can move. Um, it basically is what lubricates the movement of the body. Um, and in fact, we do have materials that are that soft. If you think of um, hyperelastic gels, um, so most people have a little bit of experience of um, silicone gel, which is sometimes used as a potting agent in electronics. Um, it's also used um, for um, various soft objects that we use. The most well-known, I think, is possibly um, prosthetic uh, breasts for people that have had um, mastectomy um, for, for cancer. Um, so these are the, the very soft um, gels. Um, there are also thermoplastics, uh, thermoplastic elastomer gels that are as soft as that, but have the advantage of being thermoplastic, which helps you to uh, manipulate them for laying up and so on. Um, so to understand um, what is the material properties that are actually required, so understand that the in the anatomy, the material properties actually vary across an order of magnitude um, within each component. Um, so tendons may vary in stiffness by an order of magnitude. But that doesn't actually matter because they differ from their surrounding tissues by orders of magnitude. So th these are not differences that you need an instrument to measure. Um, if, if you look at an object, you can tell immediately whether that's you know, a gram in weight or a kilogram in weight. Um, and likewise, if it's... Um, you megapascals uh, um, mega of, of stiffness or kilopascals of stiffness, you can tell by handling it. Um, but the problem is, yes, to, to find a suite of materials that both have the necessary mechanical properties and can be laid up together, so it's so a layup technique. Um, and that's what led me um, down the road to, um, to using thermoplastics rather than using um, thermoset um, polymers such as the silicones. Um, originally, I, I tried 
um, laying up structures um, with the with fibers laid in you know on the surface of something and then applying um, silicon to it either in a mold or or um, on a free surface. And the problem with that approach is that the fibers move and your your control of the layup is very very poor. Um, Whereas if you use a thermoplastic, um, you can have the same mechanical properties. You can have you know, an extremely soft um, elastomer that will stretch 10 times its rest length um, and is so soft that when you touch it, you can't feel it because it's softer than the fat pad in your tip of your finger. So it doesn't deform when you touch it. So, so you, you, your finger doesn't deform mm-hmm. when you touch it and therefore you get no tactile sensation, uh, which is a a, a strange experience when you first feel it. Um, another important problem was anchoring these fibers because the, the, the point of having fibers in the structure is they're going to bear a lot of um, tensile forces, mm-hmm. but they need to actually connect to things. Um, and you know, originally I tried casting fibers into things and having them protruding out. And this is actually really cack handed. Um, because how do you set up a mold where the fibers can come out, but the material you're casting into the mold don't come out? Um, and the thermoplastic approach was was much better than that. For for, for that, we found thermoplastic, um, a rigid thermoplastic, um, polycaprolactone, um, and um, it has a low melting point, only about sixty degrees Celsius. Um, so you can actually handle it um, in the molten state so long as you don't heat it up much more than 60 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. Uh, and meanwhile, the fibers that we were using principally um, um, polyamide fibers, so nylon, that was actually um, obtained by unweaving a climbing rope, um, because what you need is those straight parallel fibers, not twisted, not braided, um, that are in the core of the, fi- uh, core of the climbing rope. Um, and they have pretty much the same um, you know, tensile stiffness and strength as collagen, which makes them um, a very good substitute for a tendon because you've got the same parallel fibers um, there uh, in the tendon as you do in the climbing rope. And you've got that same um, elasticity in the, in the high load-bearing um, tendons, which helps to prevent um, damage, prevents things from reaching the, the yield stress where the, where the fibers would break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there's a question about the, mod- the role of modeling and simulation in that case if, for predicting the properties. How do you see, um, realistically speaking, modeling and simulation? And and I think you're using already a larger scale modeling. I, I don't know if it comes down at the part of molecular dynamic simulation, or is different. Uh, it, it, it it doesn't go down as fine as as molecular simulation, um, but. One of the, the handy things about um, particle-based modeling is that um, it is actually relatively intuitive to, to think of the behavior similar to molecules, but it's at, at orders of magnitude larger scale. Mm-hmm. So um, if you have you know, a million particles um, in your simulation, and you imagine that sort of arranged um, as a cube to think of how large an object can I um, simulate and at what resolution? Well, if you have... Um, the, 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 the centimeters um, along the side of a meter, um, okay? So you have 100 times 100 times 100. Um, so if, if you think of a, 
um, a cube mm -hmm. that is um, a, a, a cubic meter um, and particles that are one centimeter in size, if you fill that cube with particles, you have a million particles. Um, so that's kind of the resolution uh, that you could achieve. Likewise, if you were thinking of an object that's the size of um, 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters per centimeter, so it's a liter volume, then the particle resolution would be one millimeter. Um, now, we can actually get several millions of particles running on a, on a single GPU. Um, if you have a multi-GPU workstation, then um, if the code is a bit more sophisticated and, and divides the load across the mm. GPUs, you can move up to um, tens or even um, hundreds of millions of, of GPUs, uh, of particles, if you're working um, with several large um, modern GPUs and potentially a step further if you move up onto a cluster. Um, so this gives you an idea of the resolution that you can get. Um, the other thing is that there are techniques for splitting and combining particles so that you use large chunky particles in the areas where you don't need fine spatial detail. And then you use smaller ones where fine spatial detail is needed. And that then saves you um, a, lot of, um, a lot of particles in the number that you require to build a model of a given resolution. Mm -hmm. And then there are a few more techniques in terms of having ellipsoidal particles that can either be um, sort of uh, flattened corpuscle shaped uh, ellipsoids or elongated um, um, spindle-shaped ellipsoids, um, which can then be used for, for sheets and fibers and so on uh, as needed. So depending on how sophisticated mm. um, you go, you can get a bit more, um, bit more spatial resolution out of the simulation. Um, so yeah, it, it does always matter that the, um, the, the fundamental computer science of writing very good parallel code for the GPU mm -hmm. um, is done very well. You have to think about data flows. You have to think about um, the, the computational cost of sorting the particles. Now, this is very important because the key advantage of a particle simulation is that it does collision and it does uh, both um, fluid flow and plastic flow um, much more readily than other bases of simulation, such as finite element or, or mm -hmm. discrete element um and um finite difference simulations yeah uh, there are always trade-offs between them uh, there's, there's no one that is fundamentally uh, superior but there are um useful advantages in a particle-based simulation